Well, good morning. It's an honor to be with you this morning, and uh, happy New Year's Eve. It's pretty cool that Sunday fell on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. We won't get that every year, maybe only every seven or so. I'm hopeful that this holiday season has been one that finds you um, with family, um, but also growing in Christ and growing to love his church even more. It's been such a blessing for the Shastella family, spending our first Christmas season here in the mountains. It's been filled with amazing fellowship, great food, and time talking about the Lord's hand. It's also been a great time of first for the Shastellas. Um, it was our first true white Christmas. I think there'll be many more to come. Um, the first for us, um, as they walk in the door, the first for watching the kids playing broom ball on the Colorado River. I've never, never stood on the Colorado River before, but I did. First of eating Swedish krumkaka. It was truly a sweet season. They've been beautiful because you were at the center of them, and I just want to thank you. Thank you for making this uh, season for us, our first one here, um, just beautiful and full of joy. Um, thank you for loving us so well. As we find ourselves on New Year's Eve, I decided to go a little bit different direction today. In a culture where, where self-direction and self-made identity seem to overwhelm us, I thought we would look at a psalm together today. As we think about resolutions and as we enter into a new year, it's important for us to reflect on the year. Reflection is good. In fact, every year my family has a tradition where we sit down at dinner and we look at the year in review. We look at pictures throughout the year on our phones. We laugh, we cry, and we remember. It's amazing how much you forget, you know, over the course of a year. Some of it was really, really good, and then some of it was bad as well. But all the while, we always try to attempt to remind ourselves of the Lord, His plan, and His intentional hand in the lives of his children. I'm hopeful that the truth today will help you do that. The new year is, is in fact new. And it's okay to make commitments, even if there's ones that you probably will not make past about the fifth. It's okay to make commitments for a better self. But we can never, as God's children, lose sight that Jesus, in fact, is the only one that's making all things new. We are the fruit of his work. So keep that truth at the center as you move to 2024. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me today to Psalm chapter 16. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible on the chair in front of you or behind you if you're sitting on the front row. A 
a few months ago, I had the opportunity here to preach on Psalm 23, and some of you may have been here, and I told you that Psalm 23 is one of those psalms that I have a tendency to return to often. Psalm 16 is, is that as well for me. I love Psalm 16. Uh, it's one that I studied. I remember studying with a group of men early, early in my young walk as a Christian, and it's just one that has just always been so profound to me. And so today, I thought it would be appropriate that we study Psalm 16 together. So if you have your Bible, turn there to Psalm 16. And let me read it for us. Starting in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom all my delight. Verse 4, the sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Amen. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices, for my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Holy Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you um, in a season for us, a season of transition, whether that may be culturally because of a calendar that we follow, Lord. We know that uh, the new year brings lots of things into our, our brains and our minds. Lots of things, Lord, that uh, can confuse us. Um, lots of things that can deceive us. But Lord, we know that your word stands true. Lord, we proclaim today as your church that your word is inerrant, Lord, and that it is um, the full re revelation of your son, Jesus. So, Father, today I ask that um, you will keep us uh, steadfast in your word. Lord, that any opinion that I may give today, that it will be quickly forgotten but the truth of your word would just settle deep in our hearts and our souls today. Lord, I ask that through the ministry of your spirit today, Lord, that you do what I am unable to do. And that's to transform lives today, Lord. Lord, for those who are walking in brokenness and are bondage today, Lord, I pray that through the, the work of your spirit, through the truth of your word, Lord, that you would set them free. 
And if I have brothers and sisters here, yeah, that do not yet know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that you would grant them the gift of faith to believe. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So starting in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, O God, David cries out. Save me. Keep me. Hold on to me. Don't let go of me. It reminds me of that hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast, right? Do you pray this way when you go to the Lord? Preserve me, O God. As the years pass by in my walking with the Lord, I know that that should be my prayer every day. Preserve me, O God. That we should pray that way every day. I believe it is the it is the only clarity in which we have to begin our day. It is the only clarity we have to begin a new year. It is only us being true to ourselves and our sustainment, crying out to God to preserve us daily. Because the truth is, we need God to keep us every day, all day. We need Him to hold us. You and I cannot do this alone. We can't. We cannot do this without Him. You cannot remain without God's preserving grace. When thinking of hopes and dreams of the new year, my prayer is is that this would be your first. Lord, keep me. Lord, hold me. Lord, preserve me. Lord, sustain me. But the question comes, what is David asking God to preserve him from? And that's going to come. We'll see in just a minute. Let's move to verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You are my Lord. You are my good, is what David is saying there. That is, as my Lord, you govern all the good that comes to me. And you are the good that comes to me. Do you hear the difference there? You are all the good that comes to me, and you are the good that comes to me. I have other lords. I struggle with other idols in my life. I have other authorities in my life that I have to come to terms with, but none of those are the one true God. None of those authorities come close to your authority, Lord. You are my Lord, and you are the authority over all other authorities. 
If there's another authority, it gets his authority from you. You are my Lord and you are my good. Amen? I have other goods in my life. There's no doubt about it. We can take a list as we talked about the reflection time of the goods we have in our life. But if I taste none of God in any good that the world offers, it's empty. It's not good if there's none of you, Father. Do you hear David's heart in this psalm? I have no good apart from you, Lord. Church, when you reflect on this year and look to the new year, how many things that hold your passions and desires are outside of the Lord? Ask yourself that question really quick, just to yourself. When I reflect on the year and look to the new year, how many things hold my passions and desires that are outside of the Lord? Because He is good and He is worthy. Let's keep going. Verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight? I, lo- I love this. I love this part of the of the psalm because Paul, because David is remembering those who are having a direct impact on him. Right? He says, "Lord, the reason." I, I think the reason that he begins with verse two by saying, "I have no good apart from you." is so that when I say, all my delight is in the holy people, that he would not be seen as an idolater, but someone who sees as God's good gift, if that makes sense. You alone are my greatest good, my greatest delight. And when I look around the world and see people who delight in you above all else, they are my delight because you, God, are my delight. I hope that you see this, and I hope that in 2024 you grow in your understanding of the beauty of the church because this is what David is proclaiming. This is what David is prophesying to. This picture points to the beauty of God's church. The people of God who we are running a race with. For many of you, you look to your left and look to your right. They are your people that God has given you to run the race with. They are the excellent ones because they delight in the Lord as well. Do you see the beauty in that community there? David says, you are my good and I have no good apart from you. Church, this is one of the more important aspects that we must grow in as a body of believers, as understanding is that this little church, although for some of you have been here for a long time, this church sets here by the providence of God. 
and the people that are sitting here in this room that you have the opportunity to lock arms with are not here by accident either. And God has called us to run this together. You are not alone because you have brothers and sisters that will lock arms and run together with. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. It's beautiful. Let's keep going. I'll never get done with this psalm. Verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. What happens when we choose another God besides the one true God? What happens? Because if you look at the context of this, David is asking God to preserve him. He's, he's proclaiming that there is nothing good in, in him apart from God and that he is praising the Lord for the excellent one, the saints in the land who also understand the goodness of God. And then he shifts here, right? The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So what happens if we choose another God besides the one true God? Another ultimate good, another Lord, another delight, another treasure. What happens when we pursue our own desires? What happens is what David says there. Brothers and sisters, when we pursue our own desires, when we pursue our own path, we get multiplied sorrows. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, he says. David has already found his good. He's already found his delight. He's already found his treasure. He's not on the search anymore, is he? But are you? Are you still on the search? Are you still trying to find other passions and desires to meet your needs? David's quest was over. David's chase for treasure is over because he has found it. He has found it in the goodness and the delight of the Lord, but is yours. For me, my chase is over because I have found him, praise the Lord. And he found me. And the he has a name, and his name is Jesus. And because of Jesus, I have found my good. My, my pursuit is over because I have found the only treasure that there is. I have found my Lord. I have found my delight. I have found my treasure. It's over. I'm not running anymore after anything else. Because the truth is, there's nothing but trouble in the other things. 
He says, I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my good. I'm not shopping around anymore. My quest is over. So he responds to the temptation, right? And you will have it this afternoon as well. You will have it tomorrow. You will have it tonight. You will have it today. On New Year's Eve, you will have this same temptation. And that temptation will come in the form, and it will be simply, simply this. Here's another God. Here's another good. Here's another delight. Here's another treasure. The world is going to spit those things at you nonstop, that there is another good, that there is another treasure, that there is another delight. David's response, though, what is it? I won't even drink it. I won't even take their name on my lips. Their drink offering of blood, I will not pour out. I will not even take their names on my lips. Do you hear the beauty of the truth? These alternative gods... These idols, these alternative delights, these alternative goods. David says, I'm not going to touch them. I'm not going to touch them. I'm not even going to get close to them. I'm not going to talk about them because I have found the all-satisfying treasure, right? This completely destroys the idea that you can somehow walk on the fence of the world and holiness. You cannot. You must push it away. Stop trying because it's an exhausting pursuit. Believe me as someone who attempted it for many, many, many years. David says, I'm not even going to get close to it or talk about it because I have found the all-satisfying. I believe verse 4 is what David was asking to be preserved from in verse 1. When he says, preserve me, O God, what he's asking to be preserved from is found in verse 4. Preserve me, O God, from the things that compete from my joy. Preserve me, O God, from the things that steal my joy, the things that try to compete for my joy, Preserve me from those things, God. Because God, in you, in you alone do I take refuge. In you, you alone, I'm resolute that you are my good. I'm resolute to you that you are my treasure. I am resolute to you that you are my delight. Preserve me, God, from being drawn away from these other gods. Preserve me from... failing to be satisfied in you this morning, in you this day, in you this new year. Church, if we're being really, really honest, we must be open and say that this is the battle of the Christian life. To have God as our good and to have God as our delight. This battle should be all that you do every day. This is the battle of the Christian life. To have God as our good. To have God as our delight. To have God as our very treasure. 
But you know what the world is constantly telling you? No, I'm better. No, I am more appealing. No, I am enough. If I look better, if I make more money, if I have a better relationship, I'm better. I'm more appealing. This is a struggle with resolutions that you may make this year. Is that many of them are empty outside of the Lord. So church, just as he proclaims in verse 3 about the saints in the land, the excellent ones who are his delight, we must fight this fight together. Verse 4 is what he is pleading Preserve me, O God. So I need you, church, to pray that prayer for me every day. God, preserve him from the temptations of the world. And if there's one central prayer request that I can pray for you, it's that very thing. Lord, preserve them. Preserve them from the temptations of the world. Let let the delight that is found in you be enough to sustain us every single day. What if that was our 2024 resolution as a church? Lord, don't let me be drawn away to these other gods. Brothers and sisters, this fight must must begin at the beginning of your day. As soon as you open your eyes, you must engage in this fight. I love what Psalm 90 verse 14 says. It says, Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Is this prayer that you pray steady? Psalm 63.3 he says, Your steadfast love is better than life. Oh Lord, don't let me be more satisfied with anything else other than you. That's the battle. That's the battle today, tomorrow, and 2024. That is our battle, church. Verse 1, David cries out for preservation. In verse 4, he states clearly the danger, doesn't he? Because verse 4 is the danger that all of us walk in. Let's keep going. We're almost halfway done. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Man, I could preach on this verse alone all day long. But I think there's some broom ball that needs to happen at some point or something instead, so I won't do that. 16.5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. I love that verse. Verse 5 is virtually identical to verse 2, in which David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. But he's saying, you are my lot, corresponding to, you are my Lord. And the Lord in my chosen portion of and cup corresponds to verse 2 is when no good apart from you. So chosen portion and cup corresponds to no good apart from you. Think about it for a moment to see the similarities. What it does mean for David is that the Lord holds David's lot. 
In the next verse, though, David refers to his inheritance. He says, I have a beautiful inheritance. Inheritance are often distributed by lot among members of the tribes, if we look in the Old Testament. Lot's not something that we have a lot of cultural context to today. But it could be something similar to drawing straws. It could be something similar to rolling dice, right? But we know the one, and you've got to hear this. When you talk about the lot in the Old Testament, when you talk about the chance of this distribution of an inheritance, it's important that we always understand that God is the one who controls the chance. There is no chance, there is no luck outside of the providence of God. There is no accident outside of God's hand. And so when we talk about this lot, we must always understand the one in who controls the lot, the one who controls the chance. And David says, God holds my lot. I love what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 13, 25. He says, this is your lot. The portion I have measured out for you, declares the Lord. This is your lot. The portion I have measured out to you, declares the Lord. We still have this phrase in our culture that says, my lot in life. When you say that, you don't mean, I have an acre, right? You mean your situation. You mean your circumstance, my lot in life. Church, let me remind you today what God holds. Let me remind you today what God holds. God, you decide my fortune. God, you set my circumstance. God, you decide my place, my time, and my inheritance. Lord, you govern my life. This is, what Dave, this is where David has the same meaning in verse 2 when he says, You are my Lord. That's what it means for him to be Lord of your life is that you proclaim every single day, Lord, you govern my life. You hold my lot. You allot my inheritance. Lord, I am in your hands. Church, if you're reflecting on 2023, and hopefully you will today, whether it be in your personal quiet time or in your prayer journal or as a family, how many times when you look at 2023... Can you see clear evidence of the Lord's hand? How many times can you see clear evidence of the Lord's hand in regards to your lot and your life? David, David calls out, he says, You are my chosen portion and my cup. You are my good. And church, I know for some of you, because it's something that the Lord has to ring out in me every day, I have a control issue. I like to control things. 
it, it was really, really bad when I was a school administrator because I walked through so many situations over the years that I knew exactly how to react to a given situation immediately to get the best, safest outcome. And so because of that, I felt like that I could control most situations to get a safe outcome, right? How many of you are guilty of that? We have no control. The Lord holds our lot. The Lord decides our circumstance. He decides our place, our time, our inheritance. If you would have asked Andrea Shastella three years ago, is there any chance you're going to live in the mountains when the average temperature in the winter is negative five? She would have said, no way. If you don't know about Andrea, she's, uh, she's got Renaud's. And so her hands and her feet freeze. Up. She's probably embarrassed me to tell you this, but like, her living in a cold climate is the complete opposite. Like if you would have had her choose, she said, oh, South Florida, let's go be missionaries in the Dominican Republic. Let's move towards the equator a little bit, right? But we don't have control over this. God in His providence moved us to Severance, Colorado, only to move us to Hot Sulphur Springs. It wasn't because it was a cool adventure. It was because it was the plan of the Lord. He holds our lot. He sets our circumstance. He decides our place, our time, our inheritance. And for those of you who have a huge control issue with this, you need to repent and walk in this freedom. Because it's sin in your life. Because you have no control. Let's keep going. We're almost halfway. Verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Man, it's such a beautiful, what I call, you'll hear me say, and hopefully you don't, you're not offended when I say this. This is a coffee cup verse. This is a verse that looks really, really beautiful on the side of a cup of coffee that you can have conversations of because it's a beautiful truth. But we must understand the, the context of it. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I love the beauty and the intimacy of this picture. David says, what is his lot? His lot is that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The lines, the borders of my life that God has given me are beautiful. My future with God, my inheritance is beautiful. Have you truly reflected on this truth lately? I want to encourage you to give this before the Lord. Write it down. Your lot, your inheritance in Christ Now let's step back from verses 1 through 6 and ask, what's the main thing that David is saying in these verses? I pondered over this a lot. The answer is, 
in the words of verse 2, I believe. And it's simply this. You are my Lord and you are my good. Isn't that, isn't that um, simple yet profound, right? You are my Lord and you are my good. Or in the words of verse 5, God holds my lot and God is my lot. You hear the difference? God holds my lot and he is my lot. <coughs> holds my lot and is my lot. Listen to the difference here in the mindset, in the worldview of, of the Holy Spirit. God decides my fortune, and God is my fortune. God allots my inheritance, and God is my inheritance. God governs my life. God is my life. Do you see the beauty and the freedom of this truth? He says it in verses 2 and 3. He is my Lord he is my good. Verses 5 and 6, he states it in another way. He is my lot. He holds my cup and my portion. And right in the middle is our battle, right? Right in the middle is our battle. Don't chase after another God. Don't chase after another desire. How could you choose another when he is your all? That's the way these verses are structured. So preserve me, O oh God. Preserve me from that insane choice I'm going to make of going after other gods or other passions or other pursuits. Preserve me from that God. Because you are my Lord and you are my good. He is my lot holder, and he is my lot. <coughs> so preserve me, O oh God. Lord, you have shown so much of yourself to me. Lord, I ask that you would preserve me from being enamored by the shiny things of this world. Because that is insanity. Because you are good and you are my God. Lord, you are enough. And sin is crazy that way, guys. The temptation of sin is, makes us do things that are complete insanity. Things that we know, as I talked about, the, the fallout of our slavery to sin is that we will do things that we know openly will destroy us, but we do them anyway. Sin distracts us. Sin deceives us that there's more. Sin deceives us that there's something better. Remember, remember the lie in the garden, right? There's something better than what God has for you. It's such subtle deception. But that's the point of verse 4. But the problem is, is that we go every day. In fact, we are thinking about the new year and sin is crouching at each of our doorstep. 
It's lying to us about our identity. It's lying to us about our inheritance. And so our resolution for 2024 should be preserve us, God. Preserve us from that. Verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. When he turns now in, in Psalm 16, 7, he says, I bless the Lord. David is saying, God, by his counsel, is the one who has shown me all of this about himself. And this is important. This is an important aspect. This is not something we come to naturally. It's really important that we see this. God has come to me by his counsel and made plain to me that he is my Lord. He is my good. He holds my lot. He is my portion. God is the one who night and day has shown me these things. I think that's the point of verse 7. He is the one who has shown me all of this. And at night, he specifically talks at night. As I'm lying there, and my brain's going 100 miles an hour. Do y'all's brain do that? When you lay down, you're so tired, and you lay down, you're like, oh, my word. And as I'm laying there in my spirit, from deep inside me, though, as if it's from my heart or in my mind, these truths rise to the top, Right? They are the truths or the peace in which we can truly rest. And they are this, that God holds my life and that God is my life. But I wonder, church, you as a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of the King, what does your heart say to you at night? And if you're a child of God, one of the things that your heart says to you at 3 o'clock in the morning must be, God is my life. God holds my life. Because the truth is, is that we didn't make our heart beat for the last three hours. And you don't make your heart beat. You don't provide breath for your lungs. You do not exist outside of the sustainment of the Father. He holds you in his being. He holds all things together. One of the verses you'll hear me say over and over in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. Say that with me. All things. All things were created through him and for him. And He is before all things, and I love this picture, and in Him all things hold together. The faith that sustains us in the dark hours of our soul, these are a gift of God. God gave it to you. God sustains you, and God preserves you in it. It is His work. That's what the child of God says from deep in his mind, in his heart. God, you are my good. You are my life. So when we start looking at this from a big picture standpoint and we begin to land this plane, we see that David is giving a positive counterpart to Psalm 16.1. 
And in other words, he's also saying the negative as well. He says, oh God, don't let anything take away you from me as my portion, my good, my lot, my beautiful inheritance. Don't let anything replace you. What an amazing resolution that could be for us in 2024. God, don't let anything take away from me as, as, my, as you as my portion, my good, my lot, my beautiful inheritance. <clears throat> Here I am at the end of 2023, and I'm still following Christ. I'm still loving you. I'm still, ch- I'm still chasing you. God, preserve me in that. So let's jump out of order for a minute. While we're on verse 7, which is about God and his counsel informing David mind of glorious things, let's jump to the next verse about God making known, which is verse 11. He says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life. In verse 7, though, the Lord makes known by his counsel of these things that we've talked about 1 through 6. And then in verse 7, we reach our climax. This is as high as it gets, or as deep as it gets, or as wide as it gets. When you read Psalm 1611, don't you want to say, well, no wonder David says in Psalm 16:2, I have no good apart from you. No wonder in Psalm 3 that he said in 16:3 he says, I delight in you. No wonder in Psalm 16, 5 and 6 he says, You're my portion in my cup. David has seen the depths of God's love. (coughs) Nobody anywhere in this world can offer you anything better than 1611. Let me say that again. No one anywhere can offer you something better than Psalm 1611. Is there anything fuller than full? No. Is there anything longer than forever? No. This is the glory of the Father. Nobody anywhere in the world can offer you something better. But nothing is even conceivably better than 11. Fullness means completely satisfying. And forevermore means those pleasures never stop. Those pleasures never stop, church. God is God and His glory will be on display forever. When it says pleasures forevermore, it doesn't mean they feel good about a thousand years with God and don't feel good about it anymore. If you think that God is incapable of making you happy forever, you don't know God. Infinite is infinite and He is infinitely full That means there is no way to exhaust the kindness that he intends to show you. Verse 11, church, is as good as it gets. Look at verse 8. 
I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. If you think that God is incapable of making you happy forever, you don't understand God. God is not bound by dimension, and you can't locate him. And so what David is giving there is he's giving us some metaphor. So what are these metaphors trying to say? He says before means he's not behind where I can't see him. And this is really important. can be confusing. I keep him right out there as my good and my delight, my cup and my portion, my inheritance. That's what he is all day to me. Those other things aren't my inheritance, Lord. You are. He is always visible by his word in your mind, preaching to you the reality of who God is. At my right hand means close. Verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. So in this life, there is gladness and there is rejoicing that is very great at times. And that's the foretaste of the everlasting pleasure he speaks of in verse 11. Right now in this life, your joy is seldomly full. You need to learn to live like this, unfortunately. You need to learn how to fight for this joy. Because we live in an embattled state, a sin-torn state. Your body is going to die if Jesus doesn't come back for you. And your faith is going to be embattled to the last day. Just before Paul died, he wrote to, second, he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I love that verse. What I love even more is when I get to preach that verse at your funeral because of the way that you faithfully chased Christ. I've done a lot of funerals in my days, and some of them are some of the darkest days, and some are the most beautiful days when I can proclaim that you have fought the good fight, that you have finished the race, that you have kept the faith. Right to the end, you fight the good fight. I'm now a 46-year-old man, turned 46 in November. And my expectation is that I'm going to fight for this until there's no more breath in my lungs. There will be no more coasting. If you coast, you die. So you fight on. And yet in this verse, like verse 9 says, he says, My heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And in other words, his confidence is building to the point where he says, not even death will interrupt my joy. (coughs) My flesh is secure. Verse 10. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. This is when this gets really good, right? Death is not going to have the last word here. For you, O God, will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. But David, 
There's a grave waiting for you. There's a grave waiting for us. For every one of us, because of sin, we will face a physical death. But David, you have seen corruption. And I believe it's at this point that David is reminded in the promise that is to come. And I think that's the appropriate place to land this ship today. When I studied this, I was reminded of the Apostle Peter in Acts 2. And the Apostle Paul in Acts 13. When they say, this is the Messiah, this is Jesus Christ, whose flesh did not see corruption. In Acts 2, verses 29 through 32, it says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw, this is important, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, and he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses. What Peter is saying here is amazing. Because he didn't just say, this is Jesus. He says why he thinks this is Jesus. And what's beautiful about this is he's quoting from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 10. Now he explains for the Jewish crowd whom he wants to persuade that Jesus is the Messiah. Brothers, that I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with him an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. So what is he saying? What is he telling us? What's he referring to? How is this helping us grasp that he saw Jesus in verse 10? David knows something. What does he know? He knows God took an oath and swore something to him. And what David is referring to is the promise made in 1 Chronicles 17, 11 through 12. It says, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons and I will establish his throne forever. David knows this. He knows that he's not the Messiah. I am David, and he says the son of David is coming. God told us this. And the difference between me and him is that this better David reigns forever, and he won't decay, and he won't see corruption He's bigger, he's better, he's longer than I am. So as David is writing Psalm 1610, it's important that we understand that he's conscious of all of his glorious experience of what is to come. David is a forerunner who is pointing us to the one who is going to do so much more. He's aware of this and he writes as he's being caught up in this tremendous confidence. It's Advent season for us. We just celebrated Christmas. And I'm reminded of 
the beautiful words that Gabriel told Mary in Luke 1, verse 32 and 33. This child will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of the, his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be no end. David knew this truth, and this is the truth that he is proclaiming. This is the truth that he is clinging to in verse 10. This is the truth in which he can go to verse 11 and say, You know the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. This truth is only possible if you know Jesus. So we can take this psalm, and it's a beautiful song. I love Shane and Shane's version of this Psalm 16. It's a beautiful, beautiful version. These are beautiful words in, in which we can just set and we can bask in. These are beautiful words in which we can like set our 2024 resolutions in. But these words are only true. These promises are only true if you know Jesus as your Savior. These promises are only for you if you know Him. David, like all the prophets, is being carried along by the Holy Spirit. His spirit is rising with a joyful confidence that God will preserve him. God is his Lord. God is his delight. God is his portion and his inheritance. And God will give him pleasures forever only because of the faith in Jesus. I want you to ask yourself as we close the door on, a, on a, the year 2023. Do I know this Jesus that David wept over for 11 verses in Psalm 16? Because these promises sound really good, Chris. And I want them. I want them for myself. I want them for my family. Does your life equate to these promises? Do you know this Jesus in which I proclaim? So church, I encourage you today. Be resolute in this truth. If you know this Jesus, He is your good. He is your lot. He is your inheritance and your portion. He's your life. Pray with me.